and welcome to the Bryce cast. This is episode 13. I am, of course, Bryce, and we'll be bringing you everything we need to in Call of Duty esports news. But I am joined by a wonderful person this time around, and a person who I'm sure a lot of you want to talk to and ask questions about. It's Looney. Looney, how are you? I'm doing good, man. Doing great. Awesome. Back home, enjoying this uh, off season, and um, ready to compete, though. Ready for this beta. Awesome. Yeah, I, we'll get to that. There's lots of things to, to talk about that you've been doing recently. But um, first of all, just a, just a quick bit of housekeeping to get out of the way. I uh, apologize for having to Photoshop your head onto another person's body. Uh. <laughs> uh, obviously, there's no Seattle Surge like team shoot has gone down yet. And I thought, well, it's either I just black out your T-shirt or, you know, I try to Photoshop it bad. And it's like, but that's Octane, if you couldn't tell whose who's body uh. you're modeling. Um, my teammate he's yeah. buff <laughs> i think you look great you know i think, I think it's great uh but i just thought i'd, I'd clear that up because i mean uh parasite saw it straight away like instantly yeah. i said like, oh man <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't believe he said it so quickly um but yeah uh let, let, let's kind of get straight into it then because one of the big things we have to talk about is you have joined seattle right you are now onto yeah. this roster um you are playing with a very talented lineup but there is, uh, objectively, I would say, you know, this is a team with a troubled past. How do you feel about, what are your first thoughts on kind of joining Seattle then? Uh, yeah, so when I got benched on Toronto, I had already kind of talked to Seattle because that was kind of an option to try to, to try to join when Enable was benched. Because Enable was, I think, the first, I want to say, benched. And then I think yeah. Aix followed and then I followed. So I had reached out. So I think that line of communication was just open the whole way through. It was mostly with Slack, actually. Uh, that I was talking to throughout the MW season. And then yeah. I talked to Sam for a bit during the MW season. And then I told him, I'll listen, if uh, if you guys, whatever ends up happening going into the new year, if, you, if you're down a team, hit me up. And then I think it was like a couple days after champs, maybe I hit him up and I was like, hey, so what's good? What's team? And then he's just like, yeah, let me just uh, weigh out all my options. He was very transparent, which is what I appreciated from him. Yeah. I just showed, kind of matured from back when I teamed with them in Black Ops 3. He was just like, listen, these are my options. Uh, you're not on the roster. Like, I'm not, I'm not setting you there yet. So obviously, do your own thing. Try to find other spots. But if I, if I do want you on the team, I'll let you know. And it's kind of how it happened. He just ended up hitting me up. He's like, listen, I'm down a team with you. Let's do it. Okay, I mean, that, that's kind of a, a cool story because, and like I said, there was, there was a lot to cover here. And I feel like we need to at least talk about the, the Toronto and Seattle situation before we go into everything else, hot topic wise in your history. Um, yeah. Because obviously it's not been a real thing uh, in Call of Duty history, as you know, to be benched, but still with a team. Usually it's you get dropped yeah. and you go somewhere else, right? Um, but you had that unique situation where you were benched. How how was that for you? Like, you know, just, just feeling wise, like, because it's it's such a unique situation. Uh, for you and your career to to kind of go in that well, well i'm here but i'm stuck here now yeah so i explained on my stream but me getting bench was majorly my fault so it kind of it was kind of me learning from that uh obviously known as dagger dan or whatever and and being uh hot-headed and stuff like that so yeah. I, I did overreact off a of play um caused the scene in the facility because at the time we were going out of facility right there's yeah. COVID, so practicing at a team facility i popped off in the practice room uh i think uh ownership was there and stuff like that they kind of heard all the fuss and then the following day uh we're in, we were supposed to practice and then all of a sudden we uh we got messaged on our in our group chat like all right all scrims canceled for a team and b team obviously because we have 10 players yeah and we're like oh like what the hell is going on like 
why why are both teams getting canceled? Yeah. So then, uh, I got a, that's when I called. A, I got a call from Marty, who was still with uh, Overactive Media at the time. Yeah. And he was just like, "Yeah, uh, we want to switch up the environment. Uh, the way you handle the situation or whatever was uh, not the way we want to like conduct our team and and have our team ran." So I, I was moved to the bench. I had I was under the impression though, because I talked to like ownership that I was going to kind of have like a road to get back on the onto the starting roster. Like, all right, yeah. we want you to practice with the B team, show up every single day. Again, this is pre-COVID. So it's like we had uh, two rooms for the A team and the B team. Yeah. Like we were just going to come in, practice with the B team, go hard, show them what it takes to get from the B team to the A team. So I'm like, oh, okay. Like I'm, I just have to head down, grind, and I'll be back. Like I have to learn from my mistakes. Like I said, it was majority of my fault. I was like, just learn from it and just get back in the starting roster and, that's, I think, where my frustration came. It just felt like I wasn't actually able to ever get back on the starting roster. It was kind of like they were trying to set example out of me. Like, uh-huh. you mess up, you're benched, that's it. Because it felt, because I, I went, I think arguably I went the hardest. It was streamed. Uh, I streamed all my shrimps. I think I went the hardest in the B team. That's where I also had a learning period. Kind of like what you said, like, how did it feel? It was, just, it was weird because you're on a team. It's the first yeah. time I'm ever on a team that we don't have a goal collectively. Okay. Individually, we all have goals, right? Yeah. Get on the A team. But as a team collectively, it wasn't like we lost a map and like we really wanted to get better at that map. It was just like, okay, we lost the map, whatever. Like we would talk, but like we never get into heated arguments because again, the B team's not going to play a match. Like those five players were not about to play in a CDO sanctioned match. Like, and then we, we couldn't compete in challengers. So it was just, it was, that's the atmosphere that I had to adjust to. Okay. Early on, like I said, I was still vocal. I was still trying to get better because I don't like losing. I'm a competitor. I don't, and especially like full ego intended. I don't want to go into scrims against amateurs and lose. Like yeah. I'm a professional player. I need to show that I'm a professional player. I should be coming into these scrims and just like having my way with them type thing. Yeah. Um, so, and then the thing, the, the weird part about it too, is a lot of people, a lot of top AM teams like Atlanta Academy, um, Aggie's team and stuff like that. They kind of like knew that we weren't going as hard as like another top M team. So it was also hard to get like real competitive scrims. Like at times it would just play people and just run through them. Okay. And we're not even a team. So that's okay. kind of where my adjustment period was, was just playing on a B team and, and not having a collective goal, just having individual goals where it's just like all of us obviously just wanted to play on the A team. We didn't yeah. care to win the scrims. We just wanted to prove that. Um, that we deserve to be in the A team. And like an example of that, which I don't blame him, was like Brack, for example, right? Yeah. He came in, and I had mentioned this to Marty too. And when he was making a 10 man roster, I'm like, okay, if you're doing a 10 man roster, make sure the B team has roles like the A team. And what yeah. happened was he didn't pick up a main AR. I wanted Gunjar to be on our B team. I was like, he's Canadian, he's local. Because the last one to get picked up was Mayhem. Which yeah. I, so I was like, listen, at this point, we need a main AR. Uh-huh. Um, on the B team if you really want it to work. And then he didn't pick up Goon. He picked up Mayhem. But then they forced Brack into a main AR role, which he's not. He's a flex. So... Uh, yeah. No, no, no. I'm with put you. Him with you. In, yeah, put him in such a weird spot. And again, where it comes to like, it was an individual game, he would purposely just try to rack up the most hill time on the B team and just be like... So then he can go to like Marky B and be like, Hey, look, I'm a hill player. This is what you guys need. Zinni doesn't hop the hill. Like, it was just, like I said, it's just a weird atmosphere. I learned a lot, obviously. 
uh, to to go into this team, but it was just it was just weird because it was like I said, it's a team, but it was more having individual goals and a collective goal. Yeah, I mean, not gonna lie, that is a a lot to unpack, and I've got so many follow up questions for you because it's a really fascinating scenario for me. Yeah, because. Start of the year, one of the things I did talk about, and like full full disclosure aside, right? Like I obviously know people on some of these franchises, Toronto especially, right? Yeah. I know Marky, I know I know their GM, I know I know even uh, Marty, right? Um, Marty, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I said, start of the year, I said, look, a ten man roster is a very interesting way to come into this season. Um, it has some drawbacks. I think one of the drawbacks I highlighted, which sounds like it may have become apparent, you didn't, you didn't say it, but it sounds like it may have become apparent um, in your talking about the A and B team, is a 10-man roster with two full squads requires more coaching and more staff. Because like you said, right, if they've got to watch, you know, a player's, you know, trying to get more hill time or how do I get back? How do I progress? How do I make my case? Well, you don't have the staff to watch what you're doing, Looney, or, you know, go through all your VODs or actually give your team a direction. Because I think one of the criticisms leveled at Toronto during all this is, you know, what is the B team doing? Because obviously Challengers was not set up to let substitute teams fly, essentially. Like there was no way to balance how good, you know, those B team players are unless you got a scrim against a pro team or you subbed in for, you know, you know, one of these scrims. And he said, you know, how do I get back to the A team? And yeah. if you don't have that, like who who are you talking to, right? You, you go in there and you try and, you know, who's my coach because if he's not here he's probably watching the a team which he should yeah. be yeah. um it, it's kind of, it's kind of mad to me but let's start at the, the beginning of your uh your kind of talk there you said about an adjustment for you right you you held your hands up you said it's my fault first of all very big thing to do a lot of players wouldn't do that um but you know the the growth you kind of show in terms of like look i need to conduct myself in a in a different way moving um do you think that's franchising that's that's kind of brought on this Slightly different atmosphere because, you know, obviously in the past, people could probably have outbursts and it wouldn't be a problem. But, you know, your first outburst or an outburst of yours has, has basically changed your career tra trajectory a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it also had to do with just being in-house, like being yeah. there. Obviously, if that pop-off happens online, I, I assume we just get over it, get off the team speak and that's it. But being in person with the whole team, and like yeah. I said, ownership was there. Um so they can listen into that um stuff like that because back on splice we had like one of the most intoxic environments i've ever been in <laughs> but like yeah. other than like obviously dropping accuracy like that was it like we just like we're grown men because even afterwards right afterwards i um he told me not to tell the team but obviously like i'm not going to keep that a secret from the team everyone wanted to know what was going on like me bands and methods all went to the uh the uh facility and we're just yeah. like, what the hell's going on? They didn't tell us. They're just in a meeting room. Uh, I texted Marty because I had woken up to a phone call that I missed. And then he's just like, I'm in a meeting right now. I'll get back to you later. And I'm just like, all right, this is like serious. Like, we're not getting answers. What the hell's going on? And yeah. they only told me they, did, they didn't want to tell the team because I think the next day um, they were going to have a meeting to tell them or whatever in facility. But I went to the, I went to uh, like Ben, Ben and uh, Cam's apartment was like downstairs, like right under me and Nick's. So I went down there and I'm like, listen, I'm bench. And then they're all like freaking out. Like, why? Like, we don't care that you did that. None of us care. Like uh -huh. did that. We're grown men. Like you yelled, whatever. We're over it. And who I yelled at was Zinni. And he's the one that was saying like, yeah, dude, I don't care. But it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't player. It, none of them wanted to bench me at the time, at least. I mean, obviously I'd ended up working out for them, but at the time they didn't want me to bench me. It was just a management decision where. Like you said, that's where franchising comes in. I think if it's, it's previous titles, I've done that millions of times. Um, 
So I think I think franchise model does it, and then just being there, like I said, because um, obviously they they had they had the their their listening right there. No, no, like I said, it, it's one of those things. I think obviously, you know, I would never say um, you know you you deserve to be benched because I wasn't there. I don't know the scenario, right? You you know, but at the same time, obviously, it, it's something you clearly learn, right? You even said you know, holding my hands up, I shouldn't have done it, um, which I think is very big of you. Um, but he, here's the thing, like. In this new in this new world of uh, professionalism, and we're moving into the franchise era, and and so on and so forth, um, do you think that there is still teething issues? Do you think that there are there are problems still inherent with the model, or maybe even, you know, it's not fully as developed uh, as you would like in certain areas yet? Yeah, so you kind of touched on it, and I think it was only like specific to our team, but yeah, uh, one of the big issues, like you said, was. For the B team, they're like, who the hell is watching us play? Especially when we're playing in facility, right? Like yeah. we're playing in the facility, they can't stream, so they can't they can't go back and watch VODs. Um, they were in such a small spot. Like my my office here was bigger than what they played in. Like it was just like a table, five stations, and that's like that's you had like one person that can stand behind each station, and that's it. That's how much room they had. So it's not like you could have put another PC in there to just record like we had we had a bigger room so mark was just behind us in like a corner where he can record our vods but no one can record their vods so there that was an issue too where it was like hello like how do you guys know we're popping off and then like you said we were understaffed it was only mark uh dom's obviously our gm and she when it switched to online and uh we started like because uh, yeah then the covet hit yeah dom would do would watch and she would just record but that's all she was doing she was just recording like yeah help but at that point too we were personally streaming so it didn't really matter and then mark would like come in and watch us like every probably like once a week maybe two and then when they picked up ryan uh flux yeah he, he, they would alternate on who watches the a team who watches the b team but like like you said i feel like for that like ryan and uh mark could focus on the a team like both of them should have their full focus like the, the focus is to win championships so i think that's kind of where they, if they're going to, they're not going to do it this time, obviously, but for it to work, you did need to have the proper staff and have like a second coach strictly for the B team. Kind of a guy that knows how to scout talent and knows, all right, this guy is playing right. Because it was split attention between Mark and Ryan on us yeah. uh, when I got benched and we moved to online. Yeah, I can, I can 100% understand that because. Not only that, right, but, you know, coaching is, is obviously not just watching you guys, but also the very definition of it is coaching you, right? So as yeah. a player, you should be being developed, regardless of what team you're on, right? You're an asset, you're playing for the team, you sign a contract, they're paying you regardless of what team you're on, right? So if you're yeah. on there, you're still playing on the B team, but nobody then is saying, hey, can you improve in this area? Can you do this next area? You know, here's our S&D, maybe we need to put you in. But there's no, there's no context of that. They only get to see a snapshot of you in a specific scrim, which we know can be subjective depending on a who you're playing you know if you're going up against a, a counterpart who a, a, a player of the team who's picking you apart that series but against everybody else you've been frying or yeah. you know maybe it's a specific map set or you're trying something because it's scrims or like you said lack of defined roles could mean that your S&D is suffering because nobody's really putting together a big game plan it's just you five who you know roster changes and stuff um it, it's difficult for, for you to shine. I think that was one of my biggest critiques and challenges this year is 
Well, first of all, these two-way contracts everyone's supposed to be on. You only have two per team, and we don't know who's supposed to play where, and it was difficult for people well, to, to kind of gather in, but it, it, it's weird. Gone. I, I, I see you had a point there, gone. No, yeah. Well, the point about the thing about the two-way is I don't. Th I think it was like franchise dependent on which franchise got the like information on how that worked, but that was a problem that we ran into early on uh, when we went. I think we went in October for our reveal, uh, yeah. for our brand reveal. You know, take pictures and stuff like that. At the time, the starting roster was supposed to be me, Brack, Methods, and the Spaniards. Yeah. So classic, uh, classic, and I think Bant were the first to like mention it. They're like, "Hey, like, what are we supposed to do? Like, if we can't play challengers, what are we gonna do? Like, so they were pushing to like get two way contracts, or, like, like, and then um, that got into a whole like argument and like debate where it's just like, uh, are we gonna give two? Because like you said, only two of the five would have been able to to do that two way contracts to play in challengers. So it would have kind of like screwed the other three. So then ultimately they decided, no, all five of you guys are not going to be on two-way contracts or none of you guys are going to be on two-way contracts. Yeah, uh, and Which is which is insane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just like, because at least like Atlanta had an academy team, but they had Tom Gravity and Journey play. Yeah. So it's like Toronto has 10 players and they don't have anyone playing in Challenger. So like I said, that also just off the rip, put like a, like a bad vibe in the B team. Like what are we supposed to be doing for a year? And what it turns out, Brack, Mayhem, and Lucky just like got paid for a year to do absolutely nothing. Like, essentially. Like, yeah, no, 100%. This like, Mayhem helped. Mayhem did try to help the A team. He was very vocal with us and stuff like that. And uh, he obviously made the best out of his situation. But it was just, it was just, it was just uh, a shitty situation. And kind of to touch on what you said about like screenshots and uh, if you, if they take screenshots and go based off like one stream, that kind of what's happened. When we went into our boot camp in early December, we went yeah. into a boot camp and going into it again, I thought the starting roster was going to be me, Methods, Brack, and uh, the Spaniards. And luckily, we had like five NA, five EU. So they were the five EU players were obviously streaming in uh, Europe before we all moved to Toronto. Yeah. Or so, um, in December, it was, it was kind of weird. A lot of people feel like they got shafted, which I don't blame them, like uh, Lucky being one. Because we were trying to just, we we're just mixing in rosters, playing streams, and like some teams will play a lesser team. So someone's in a shine. And then Lucky or someone will play like, we'll play against like a Dallas Empire. And obviously, like his stats aren't going to be unreal. And he was saying that we're putting, we were putting him in a role he wasn't comfortable in. So he's not performing. So we're like, yeah, I don't think Lucky's the right choice. And then that's kind of when Cammy came in. You know, like now Cammy's been frying. We want to play with Cammy. So. That also was just like the lack of time that we had to like decide on a five man. Cause like I said, I thought our, our five was set for at least like the first event or two, but then Mark, like right before the bootcamp like, no, we're trying stuff. I don't want to put like all our eggs in one basket and just hope this roster works. Yeah. We might as well take advantage of this bootcamp. But I was like, all right, that's fair. And we tried a whole bunch of variations. I think we had like three, four days of scrim. And like you said, like, depending on what the schedule was one day, you might play a lesser team. So someone's in the shine or like, yo, he's nasty. We need to put him. And then someone else played against a tougher team. They didn't have an, an, an even shot at that starting roster. So that was kind of shitty in the very beginning, too. It's just like lack of time. And we made a decision. It kind of worked out, I guess. We went one and one at Minnesota and then obviously fell back-to-back uh, -back events. But that was also just a weird situation, which... No, I mean, in fact, you brought some points I didn't really consider there, uh, Looney, because 
I didn't really think about it. I'm sure many people haven't, you know, that point of that second team. Well, first of all, obviously, you have no goal to go forward. But if, you know, you guys are obviously competing for spots, right? You, that is the idea, entire idea of the B team. You are competing for spots. So if you don't have the roles to mirror the, uh, the A team, then obviously you may be in a role you're uncomfortable with. So how do you compete for a spot? You're either, if you're playing for a main AI, you're either forced into it if you want it or not. Um, and yeah. you could beat out the, the A team, could have a great play. You could be the best player on the B team, but your equivalent player on the A team is still better. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they, and you're like, well, I could be on a different uh, franchise team. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping this year challenges cha changes because, <coughs> sorry, <laughs> I've uh, I've had a few critiques of it, and I I, I want to see it, especially with more players in there this year. There are way more pros and challenges now. Um, yeah. Going forward, and we don't know exactly what's happening with the sub spots and who's playing where yet. Oh, I do think it needs to be seen as just a. It, it needs to be given more precedence, right? Because, like you said, how do I how do I justify my career? How do I get back to an A team? How do I get back to a franchise? Fortunately, you've done it, right? You've gone into Seattle this year, but there must have been a, a few thoughts in your mind, like, "Oh crap, I could be one of these players left out in the cold." Yeah, I mean, I definitely had my thoughts where I'm like, if I'm not gonna get on a, uh, a franchise team, do I? jump right in obviously with my like reputation of being a smart player do i just start jumping into the coaching market do i play challengers like um a lot i think um nameless just touched on us with the whole age thing right it's just a lot of the times the reason players retire which i was like on that line on that path was financial decisions i have a house i have a mortgage i have bills to pay and i just go into challengers probably not get a monthly salary and if yeah. it is it's probably like thousand dollars or whatever it is i don't know what challengers were getting last year is that's not really enough to like live off of i'm just gonna probably just chip away into my savings that i've made and if it doesn't work out then what so it's just uh it's just tough i think luckily for for some of these um pro players that might get left out is they are in like a, a financial stable decision where i think most most will go into challengers and most are confident and like betting in yourself, right? To some of these franchises might underperform and that's when, when I get the call up. Yeah. Which is another conversation is like, do they sign a sub spot? Like if you're, I think I heard Slack talked about it. If I'm a sub for let's say LA Gorillas and I don't know if, if Seattle underperforms or any, any team underperforms Can't jump and in. they, they is like, how do I, yeah, I'm going to have to get bought out of my LAG contract. And then, so at that point, someone else is probably going to have to take that spot. So I'm probably best just not signing with a, a franchise and just betting on, I'm betting on myself that someone is going to underperform and I'll be free. So it's no, no uh, hassle signing me. So that's, that's, it's, that's insane. It's tough. Insane, man. Like the fact that there's that players are players on the cusp, right? Cause there could be pro players who just haven't made a team for whatever reason. Right. Yeah, they ha now have to make a choice. Do I take a minimum contract to be in a sub spot, regardless of the team? Because you could go into a great team and it actually makes it worse for you, right? If you signed up to yeah. like the Atlanta Empire, yeah, 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 like you, you know, you you're probably not, not get, get yeah. up. But I then have that that money in my pocket, right? It's a guaranteed contract. Yeah, but well, it's I, not guaranteed now. I Contracts aren't guaranteed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but. But it's it's to your point. It's just I have I have some income. I have yeah. some money coming in to make it make it more of a safe spot to play in the challengers. Which I think AMs will probably sign more than pros because pros, if they have been smart with their money, obviously Slack has earned a lot of money. Uh, so 
a player like Sly, I can see not signing, but like a player like, I don't know, Sibulins, depending on his financial situation, he, he would probably want the minimum just to, especially if you're in a situation too, where you, you have to um, convince your parents that this is, this is a viable career, right? Yeah. You're going to want that money. You're going to want that monthly money to show them like, Hey, like I can do this. Yeah. Um, it's, I, also, it's, I think it's, it's, uh, it's like player dependent yeah. on what they're going to do. I often worry, and I think I covered this before, about uh, players and their money, right? I've, sp- I've definitely spoken on this a few times. It, it still worries me because salaries obviously are very high in some cases, and, and last year they were high, right? Oh, yeah. It, it worries me that some players don't think of it still because they'll, they'll splurge, right? And I, I understand splurge, right? We've all done it. But it, it worries me when I see a player just go, right, yeah, I'm going to get all this drip. I'm going to get all this stuff to flex on the timeline and – yeah. Going, for the majority of it, you don't need it. And it's easy to say that, right? But oh, yeah. When you have an income as a pro player, it is usually higher than the average income of whatever country you're from. And it is yeah. very easy to spend this money. And you always think more is going to come. Now, if you're a player like, I don't know, Krim, for instance, who spent 20 grand on night vision goals, <laughs> well, Krim, Krim has got way more capital that that is a very low thing. But for some of these players, you know, they may have earned 300K, 200K, 100K last year. But like, oh, this is loads of money. Well, that's loads of money right up until it stops coming in. And then you realize, well, that five grand I spent on something, that's actually a significant chunk of money I could have for the future, right? It's, it's great yeah. to have these things. And I, and I do worry. And I, I would love to see, you know, a financial advisor that didn't rip off players come into the scene and say, hey, look, if you live frugally and just compete, like if you're all about competition, just compete, save your money. If you need to buy upgrades to compete, PCs and stuff, very viable to buy, right? Yeah, so that's that, that's, that's, yeah. But some of these other things... You could some of these players could have walked away with a house at the end of the uh, at the end of the year with some of these contracts, like a, a property to invest in, and just say, "Hey, my money's good now." Like even if yeah. my career absolutely tanks, which it could, we've seen we've seen very good players drop yeah. out of a pro league and, and maybe not get back. You know, even if it tanks and I have to go do something else with my life, at least I've I've been smart with it. Right? At least yeah. I have something. I um, think uh, I think something that helped is being employees now. Yeah. Because when you were just on a monthly salary, right, whether it was five, six, seven, whatever the amount was monthly, you get that in full. But a lot of players mentally aren't thinking half of this is not mine. At the end of the year, I'm going to pay a good chunk of, uh, of cash to taxes and stuff. So that was like a problem, too, which I think that now it helps players when it comes to splurges. Like, All right. Well, it's already taxed the money I'm getting is actually mine or whatever the case may be. So it's just like, wow, instead of making 10 K, I actually only get 5,000 of that. Like, but when you got that 10 K flat a month, you're just like, Oh yeah, I can spend half of this and I'll, I'll be good. Yeah. Like, I think that helped a lot. I don't think a lot of, a lot of pro players, I'm not sure. Uh, but I always made sure that I had that, that money just ready to pay at the end of the year for taxes, which would be a lot, it was a, a lot of cash. Um, like I said, it's 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 very easy, um, players. Right, because here's the thing, right? And and every player does it pretty much. You go on the yeah. timeline, you get something new, you show it off, and then you go to an event, and everybody's wearing nice gear. They've got, you know, they're going to fancy yeah. restaurants. You're like, well, I'm now a player. I want to do these same things. Well, yeah. some of these players have been playing for a decade, and they've earned an absolute ridiculous amount of money. And I, I do find some of the ones who obviously, you know, the the biggest stars in and around. They actually talk less about their money as time goes on. Like they don't, they don't show it out. They don't, they don't really worry about that sort of stuff because they know it's all going into into properties and stuff. Um, yeah. But it, it's mad. Let's let's change topic now because I want to talk about your yep. new team, right? You're going to yep. Seattle Surge. 
Um, obviously, you've come out of Canada. You've come into into Seattle. Uh, how much uh, are you looking forward to playing with this team, right? You've got Gunless, Octane, and, and Pristini with you. That is a stacked roster uh, for Surge now, and obviously lots to do for Surge to kind of rebuild their brand this year. Yeah, well, for me, I think our Rise team in World War II was a mistake to break up. Obviously, we had the top 16 finish, which is just like a recency thing. Uh, obviously, that was the last placing we put up, but before that, we were in three straight finals, right? Yeah. Like... A lot of uh, I know a lot of like optic fans and a lot of fans hate it that we're already trying to call ourselves a dynasty and like we're on that track, but we were like regardless of the top sixteen finish, like we d- we dominated World War Two like the beginning of the year, and then it was like TK dominated the start, we dominated the middle, and then uh, TK like pretty much dominated the end. Uh, but like optic didn't win their first champs together, like so just yeah. because we got a top sixteen, it wasn't like our dynasty was in a like like it's just. Chalked. If we continued into Black Ops 4 with those four and picked up whoever it would have been, we would have probably eyeballed like Kenny and stuff like that and ran through Black Ops 4. We could have been on track to be that dynasty. So I think it was a mistake to break up, but it was just like a recency thing that that wound was fresh and we reacted on it. Yeah. So teaming with Pierce again is uh, I'm very, very excited for. Obviously, he was considered top two, him and Kenny in World War II. So to be teaming with him again, I'm looking forward to it. I know everyone has their thoughts. Oh, he's going to blow it up. He's going to do this. Well, he's going to do that. I've got to, ask you, I've got to ask you about this, right? Because here's the thing about Seattle Surge. Unbelievable names on this team. Very, very talented roster, right? Nobody yeah. can contest that. And anybody does is clearly a moron. The question has been asked. And I'm sure you just kind of try to address it there. But I want to yeah. get it out in the open and get your real feelings on it. The criticism leveled against Surge this year are it has players that have had previous history of either being combative or passionate you could call it or hot-headed like people are worried about you know you obviously said last yeah. year you had a bottle gunless you know pristini's had it octane obviously had his mental bit the last bit of the year not really like passionate but you clearly tell it was just memeing the timeline people are worried right people are worried yeah. about That's is this fair. team chemistry going to hold up if you have a couple of bad events yeah so for me i think me and Gunless teaming again is kind of the way we teamed with on Rise. So he obviously got dropped off phase off uh, IW Champs. Yeah. Uh, he went on to team with Echo Fox, which is pretty much a scrap team that ended up being good. It was like an eighth team, I guess, with like, because Facento had been uh, dropped by us, by Rise. Pierce got dropped. I think Stains got dropped by LG. And then who was their fault? Assault. I think Assault. I don't know what happened there. I know Aix went to EG. You can just say he got dropped or he got left out. Yeah. And then. They ended up dropping him after the Montreal event, that extra like pro point event. He always talks about he got dropped on Christmas Eve. So he was handed to me with like a chip on his shoulder, ready to prove. And I think it's kind of the same thing. Obviously, with what happened with the Huntsman, again, it's like handing me a guy that's just hungry. And we obviously worked well in World War II. So I'm kind of seeing it the same. My, may his, his ego might be bigger than I dealt with in On Rise because you've one in Black Ops 4, he won in MW, so he'll probably be more vocal against me, but I'm fine with that. Like, I'm uh, obviously a guy that, in a toxic environment, as long as it's, it's like, for a good reason and not, I hate you reason, it's because <laughs> it's like, I love you, I want you to be the best player possible, which yeah. is what I like from my teammates. If I'm messing up, if I'm underperforming, I want my teammates to yell at me and be like, hey, like, I know you're better. That's how I view it. It's me yelling at you, because I know you can do better. 
if I think you suck, I'm probably not even going to yell at you. I'm probably like, wow, you just, you just suck. Like, I don't, yeah. I can't, I don't see myself making you better because you just suck. Like if I'm yelling at you, I've always told my teammates is if I'm yelling at you is because I think you can do better. Not yeah. because I think you suck. It's just, I'm trying to make you the best player possible. So that's for, as far as gunless. So I think, I think he'll be good. Sam, I have a team with him Black Ops 3. So <laughs> I know, I know he's like a different man, obviously has more championships under his belt. But again, I think chip on his shoulder. I, I, I mean, didn't have. Uh, after his Black Ops 4 season, right? Two championships, runner-up at champs, and then MW. I don't even think they played in a final. So it's just like, he wants to get back to being called the best, right? When you when you get called the best, and then you just like, a lot of people were still saying he was the best because of the stats he was putting up. But yeah. I know he believes he wasn't the best player in MW or like even the best AR, right? So he when you're the best and you stop getting called the best, you want to get back to that point. Yeah. So that's kind of where I am with Sam, which I know he's just going to work hard. And you know what to expect from him. Yeah. Shoot straight as hell, get lots of kills. And Preston's the one I haven't teamed with. Uh, obviously, I've heard stories of, of like his mental game and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I think he's going to do uh, like his best. He's going to just work hard and try to prove again that he can do it without his brother. Like I think that's his biggest chip on his shoulder, right? People just say, oh, the only reason he's a pro is because of our cities. And uh, he just gets carried by his brother, put on by his brother, teams with his brother. Yeah. So I know, I know he wants to to prove all those people wrong. And I think teaming with a player like me will be good for him, where he doesn't have to just go in first. I've already told him, like, you're not gonna be the guy that just throws your body in first every single time. Like, yeah. well, it's four v four now as well, right? So it's yeah. slightly different. Yeah. So I'm like. You're going to be a slayer. I've, I, I've seen you shoot very straight. I've seen you go off and, and have multi-kills and, and you're a beast. So don't feel like it's on you to run in front of Pierce and Sam every single time. Like, I'll be there to do that too. So um, when it comes to, like, stats, because I know that's another thing, right? Huh, Pristini point nine or Pristini point this. Like, I, I, I have a feeling as long as we work hard, he's going to be putting up 1.0s. And... A lot of people like, like you said, it's four before. Like, if you go look at our tournaments in World War II, it's not like Tej was putting up some crazy stats. Me and yeah. Tej just worked really well together. Like, I think it's kind of like a recency thing, where the last thing people remember Tej for World War II was dropping 58 on TK and that London docks. But it's not like he was doing <laughs> that the whole year. Like, yeah. um, so it's just when it comes to four before, and if it plays out the way I think it is, your subs just have to do the right thing and throw up point nines. If they throw up a 1.0, you're winning. Like that's how I always viewed it. If your subs are throwing up or your entries throwing up a 1.0, you should win the tournament. Yeah. As long as your ARs are, are getting their kills. So it's 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 crazy how much KD is like influential yeah. on on, ev on everything nowadays, and I hate it. Uh, but also at the same time, it's very difficult to, sometimes to measure intangibles, right? Um, yeah. But there's. Oh, like, I mean, I think it was Theory. I like Nola threw up a point seven and won the tournament. A point seven and won yeah. the tournament. So like that's what I'm saying. If it just plays out how I think it would with being smart, like we'll be fine. Yeah. And the personality clashes and stuff like that, I think we'll get over it. We're all grown men. We all want to win. We're all vets, right? That's another that's another point. People say like, oh, they they they're just a, a team of vets. Like where are the youngins in this? And we just have trust in ourselves. And well, I mean, it's 4v4 as well, right? It's going to yeah. be less of that, like, hurling yourself around, maybe. We, well, we haven't got enough of Cold yeah. War competitive yeah. to figure it out yet. But we'll um, there's, there's a few things, actually, you, you said that I need to go back over. Because uh, the, the most obvious one, the, the first one, the conflict resolution. Now, uh, I have never really spoken to Nubsy very much. But obviously, he's currently the head coach, as far as I'm aware. Um, 
has there been any talk of conflict resolution or ways to manage potential issues within the team? Have you spoken to your teammates about this, by the way? Like, have you said, hey, look, obviously we've all, you know, we're all very passionate. We all know our shit. There is, there is a possibility that at some point I may call you some very unpleasant names. <laughs> um, how do we go about fixing this before it becomes a big issue? Nah, I think right now, post like all of us signing, we haven't really talked to each other much. I think people like I know Sam just went to to Florida to go to like Disney yeah. and like Universal with um his girlfriend. I drove down to Florida to visit my fiance's family. So we're kind of just letting each other do their own thing right now in the offseason. Hasn't really touched on anything really, other than like I said previously, more like all right, let's team, blah blah blah. But once we sign contracts, it's been our group chat has been kind of quiet, just letting people do their own thing. But yeah. I'm sure we'll have that talk like when it comes to like scrim time, like, hey, like Joey, um, we respect you enough or whatever. When you think you think that things are getting out of hand, just like tell us to be quiet or something. I mean, I'm sure there's gonna be times where you're like, Hey guys, shut up. I'm gonna like, no, you shut up. Like <laughs> I've done that with Mark a hundred and ten times on splice with with uh, temple. Like he'll try to interject and we're like, No, 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 like we just have to hash this one out. Just let this one rock. But there's ones that we'll probably have him stop. And then there's ones, like I said, where I think it's best to just let everything out. Just don't bottle in your emotions. Cause I think that's when like tension starts to rise and you're just sitting there mad. And instead of you telling me, you're telling someone else. And I don't want that. Like that's what happens. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. Like I said, I've always felt like, uh, I've always said some of the, the better pro players who've always been kind of said, Oh yeah, they're a great teammate are the ones who can point the finger at themselves first and not, you know, go to speak to somebody else and say, hey, that guy's shit and he's letting us down. Yeah. Especially in this current format. It's not as easy to get a good uh, sub nowadays or a good transfer or a good roster change. You have to yeah. realize that it's going to be more like, okay, we need to work with these players. I can hate him as long as we can work together and, and get chips. And the other thing I was going to bring up, you brought this up, like it, it still boggles my mind how storyline the Seattle Search is this year. A franchise who became the laughing stock of, of teams last year, 100%. Octane, yeah. who started the year, like I said, I did a draft start of the year, and he was, the, he was the number one draft, like I thought he would be, consistency over the years. Who this year, like you said, it must have been, he, he got fined more than he won in prize money, which is yeah. insane. Well, I tweeted out, I think it was like two weeks ago, I won a World War II throwback, and that was yeah. more money than I made in MW. Yeah, which, which is crazy. It was $200. <laughs> Which is great. And then obviously, you know, you spoke about you, yourself and your two teammates. Every single one of you has has something to prove as well as Octane. Uh, Pristini wants to play with that brother. You got benched last year and so did Gunless. So this, this Seattle Surge team is going to have lots of eyeballs on it because every single aspect of your team right now is seeking redemption or, or seeking yeah. to prove a point or has a chip on their shoulder. And that for me is is incredible because I hope and I hope CDL is probably doing this anyway. Um, but people keep a very close eye on it because essentially, it's very easy for players like yourself or players in this situation to have their stock absolutely destroyed. Somehow Octane's stock didn't fall because he was still putting up good numbers very much. But obviously, yeah. it's different from being you know the what a lot of people consider the best or most consistent player to bring into the next season to oh he was on the worst team of yeah. the year bar none. That also has to do with, like, pros, though. Like, we know how to put stock on players, right? Yeah. Like, fans, for example, like, a lot of fans are like, what the hell? Did, why? How is Looney on a team? He played for three events, dropped .8s, and somehow he's teaming with uh, Octane or whatever the case is. It's just because pros have a different view. Like, me, 
I am mind blown beyond belief that Slack's not on a team. Beyond belief. Like, he should be... He should have been sought after as soon as Seattle said they weren't signing him. Like, yeah. by everyone. Like, Florida, LAG, whoever needed a team, they should have just hit up Slack. Like, so pro just view player stocks way different than than um than fans, but Do you think that's a big problem though? Because we we know and obviously like if you're an owner of a franchise, you kind of have to balance expectations as well. Because you know you know if you make a, a bad signing as an owner, fans gonna be down your neck. Like they're gonna be just full of it. We've seen it, right? Teams haven't announced shit and teams are going at people like uh Paris at London, like they're, they're just getting so much vitriol coming down the timeline. Yeah. They're probably worried about it. Do you ever like sit there as a as a pro and be like, I don't know how because at Crim came to your defense, I believe. I think yeah. it was Crim. Yeah. Crim said, yeah. hey man, Krim's you guys need to, Yeah, you guys need to back off because he he's better than any of you are giving credit for. Do you ever worry about that that dynamic though, is that fans start dictating teams? Yeah, I mean, like kind of you said, they're just very vocal, right? But the internet gives it gives everyone a voice, so they can just simply tweet at Seattle Surge. Oh, I can't believe you picked up Looney. <laughs> and then, like, who knows? Like, after the first event, if I underperform a little bit or something like that, I drop a point eight or point nine, and whatever the case may be. And they have a hundred fans tweeting them. That could influence them. I don't know. Like, that's probably a, another issue, right? Is they just keep getting tweets like, "This player sucks. How is he still starting? How is this guy yeah. starting? How is this guy starting?" And they're just like, "Oh my god! Like, it does this guy suck? Like, should I bench him? Like, you don't know the influence of uh, everything, especially with like GMs." Right now, I don't, I don't know all the GMs, but or some might not even have GMs. Yeah, some, are, some are more like, forward facing than others. I think some of them are like, like a lot of the people that are in power don't know much about COD. So it's just like those are also the people that are making decisions. But I think right now it's kind of like you said, it's like the growing pains of the franchise and still players like now, like for example, with JCap retiring, like he should be in a management position where. He has so much experience. He has tons of experience. Yeah. And when, when the team's underperforming and he's the GM, he'll know, like, okay, okay, we probably need to bench this guy or not. Nah, yeah. Trust me, we'll get through this. He brings a lot to the team. Like, once players like that and like Karma start getting into these management positions, I think, um, I think uh, organizations will be more comfortable just putting their trust in them. I think, like, uh, I think Hector said it. He's just like, right now, players have all the control. I know I know nothing about COD. Players have all the control, and he's like, until I get someone that I trust to make those decisions instead of the players, which again, I'm sure he'll trust like a player like Cap and Karma, but and then they'll, they'll put them at ease from all the fan backlash and stuff like that. I wonder, I wonder if there's like a new position that needs to be considered for Call of Duty because this has been in my mind recently. I've had this debate more than once, right? And it's about coaches and managers that it's not necessarily always going to work if you have a pro player step into either of those roles because of things like the way you manage people the way you look at stuff your organization very different from just playing and knowing the game especially considering the game changes every year so what you did know starts to become out of date the longer you've been doing it i wonder if something like a consultant or something like more players should be going into a consultancy role saying hey six months sign me up or sit outside your power structure but I have all the inside scoop on the players. I, you know, I can help build a team. I can help manage stuff. I can help your coaches, your managers. I will sit and I will just get it done. And a lot, I'll be honest with you, I think the majority of franchises could use a position like that. Something where you don't have to go, right, you're a new head coach, no coaching experience, right? Just because you're an ex-pro player or management, you don't know what decisions they're going to make. And then that's a good way to assess them as well, right? You have a consultant who's doing very well in the organization front. Wow, fantastic. Great. Let's, uh, bring you in full time because that way 
we can develop you. And it's something that we've also covered is there isn't uh, a ton of talent out there, like you said, who have these niche backgrounds of no Call of Duty like the back of a hand, but also can do these other jobs. Like, who are you picking? It's why we don't see a big turnover of, of, of staff at the moment, because no matter how bad you did last year, who's going to replace you? Who is there to replace people yet? We don't know. Yeah. But also, to your point, um, Toronto Ultra, actually, they hired a head coach that had nothing to do with COD. Like, yeah, Marky this, B yeah. was not the actual head coach. He was a strategic coach, I think. And that head coach was strictly put in to provide structure, to provide a schedule and things like that. So, kind of like you said, it's not always going to be like a pro player. And it probably all shouldn't be a pro player, right? It, it just depends on, on how they are and stuff because sometimes coaches can't provide a structure because they, they don't know how, right? Yeah. All a coach can tell you is be on time. So, like, as far as, like, our head coach, he, he was really providing a structure for the time he was with us. I think he left, like, uh, around COVID time. But it's, like, like to your point, like, sometimes pro players probably shouldn't be in that job, depending on what is the ask of it. Because, yeah. I mean, we're just players, right? <laughs> a, lot, a, a good chunk of us, I'm sure, can't sit here and, and uh, actually get a team in line more than just, hey, rotate. Yeah, yeah, I, I fully agree. It's, it's so interesting to me, and it's something I probably talk about far too fucking much. People who, who, <laughs> who view the channel know that I end up talking about it a lot because I'm very passionate about it. I think we don't know, right, if the greatest Call of Duty coach is, is a current player at the moment. They could be. They could actually be a better coach than they ever were a player just because yeah. of their personality and the way they think through things. Right? And we could, you know, you could have, uh, you know, Crimzix, for instance. I'll take Crimzix just as an example, right? Obviously, you know, Reputed as the greatest player of all time, most winningest player, huge prize pool, right? Everyone, I don't think you'd find people say, oh, he couldn't be a coach. But for all we know, it could be a dreadful coach. Probably not, but yeah. could be. Could be a no, shockingly yeah. bad coach, right? You wouldn't suspect especially, it. Especially, like, like, the first, like, year or two. So I use yeah. now, because I talked to Cap about this. I'm like, bro, like, the first year of coaching after being a player has to be the worst. Has to be. And it's funny, I said this before eSport announced that he's coming back. And I guarantee you, <laughs> for the reason that I was telling Cap, if you go coach a team and you're just sitting there watching these players, watching these players, you're going to get the thought, I can still be playing. I have heard and that. I, that's exactly <laughs> I, I, I guarantee that's the reason why B-Sport's like, you know what, bro? I'm coming back to playing, bro. I can still compete. Like, It, it, it could have been different decisions where he didn't get a franchise spot to, like I said, Hey, we have to make financial decisions for ourselves. He's like, I'll, I'll just coach. And then now the opportunity comes to where you can play again or whatnot. But yeah. I, I personally feel like the first like year or two of coaching post player, if you had lots of success as a player, yeah. is going to be the worst. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'll be honest with you. Like, I don't know how much I can say, but I kind of reached out to find out. And it wasn't from him, actually. I was like, hey, what, what's going on with, with baseball? And I, from what I said, he did not, was not appreciating coaching because I think it is difficult for a player to transition, right? Yeah. When you're a player, you go in, you play, you try to get the best. It's competitive heat. You're like, yeah, I can do this. If you're a coach, it's like, well, it's, it's, it's work, right? <laughs> it's just hard work. You're going to have conflicts. You have to watch VOD. You're not going to be playing. You know, a lot of the perks of being a player get taken away, but you're still doing the grind, um, yeah. but you don't get yeah. to influence any of it. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. That, that's, yeah. I don't, I don't know exactly what happened with him, and I'm sure I'll speak to him at some point and get the official line on, on why he's gone back to playing, but it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, that was the reason, yeah. Yeah. My, if I'm a betting man, I'll put my money on that. Yeah, me too. Me too as well. Um, let's talk a little bit then about uh, the Franchise League because obviously it's a big change and a lot of people have, have weighed in with their opinion. I'd like to hear yours. Now, I will preface this, but I have heard rumors 
about possible changes for next year. So we won't go into those. But uh, home stands and stuff. How did you feel about the the way the year was laid out? Um, honestly, Minnesota changed my view on what I had going in initially. Okay. Like Minnesota was like an event where I was just like, wow, like maybe a home crowd is going to make a difference. Maybe it's not going to be an optic crowd every single event like we've had before. Like yeah. Minnesota came out and those fans were cheering for rocker. Like they might've still been like, if it was, they might've still cheered for Huntsman or whatever when they played. But I guarantee you, if it was rocker versus Huntsman, they would have been on rocker side, regardless if they were like optic fans or whatnot. It, like it felt that way. So I'm like, it, it changed my view right then and there. Obviously after that was London, which London's always going to cheer for the <laughs> Europeans. Like you guys are special when it comes to that. Like that's just because you're going to, you're going to cheer for your region. Yeah. Regardless, regardless. It, it doesn't yeah. matter how bad they are. Exactly. That was different. And then Atlanta again, obviously going to cheer for phase because they're a good ass team. So like yeah. they're going to go to bat for their home team. And then obviously home series, I think LAG, I'm not sure how that went when it comes to like crowd and stuff. Cause we weren't there. Uh, so I don't know how I would have gone, but it looked like it was going to that direction where like, wow, like Scump's not always going to have the home crowd advantage. Like, cause that, that was tough to play against. It was, it was very fueling and gave you a reason to beat them. But I think in terms of home stands, I, th I, I believe that it was going in a direction that I didn't predict. No, and I, I, and I, I like. Agree with you there. I, I was, Pleasantly surprised by yeah. the the engagement of home crowds, and obviously COVID kind of put paid to it. But I kind of want to see how it plays out. Like if if we can get consistent crowds, home crowds on each event. Like obviously, if you're an away player, not going to be pleasant walking through the crowd. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, being kind of uh, cheered against. But for a lot of players, obviously, like you said, the old optic effect. You were you were you were going against a team that was uh, cheering against you anyway. Uh, it kind of leads on to my next point as well, right? Recent news, um, and I thought this was super interesting. It doesn't seem to have really been picked up a lot by the community. Uh, Crimzix went in about toxic fans recently uh, on the Eavesdrop yeah. podcast, and he actually doubled down the Reddit. And it's something I wanted to explore further, but I want to get your kind of point of view on it, right? Um, with fans in Call of Duty, do you think there is a, a problem with some toxic fandoms? And I'm not singling out Huntsman or Optic here, but like, what do you experience day-to-day timeline-wise, social media-wise, whenever you play or don't play over the years? Because for me, I think it's always difficult to, to take an accurate snapshot because sometimes it's just hostility on the, on the yeah. Like if you, you know, if you win a map, it's great. If you, and even in, if you win a map against a, a popular team, you get, you get smoked anyway. Um, if you do badly, then it's like the worst thing in the world looking at your timeline. But what's been your experience yeah. with it? Uh, well, I mean, being a role player, it was, uh, I've seen it, right? I've seen the toxicity, especially um, back in, what was it? Back in like Black Ops 3 and IW. Um, well, back in like Black Ops 3, since me and Damien kind of played the same role, it's funny, I always ask Damien about this. He hated me. He like hated me. <laughs> so like I would get, I would, I would, and I, I'm, I, I had an ego in the beginning of Black Ops 3. Obviously, it was my first time winning. Uh, we were considered the best team. And so I had that ego. Obviously, Optic always had that reputation of being like so good online, and uh, with our success in the beginning of the year, I would I would be vocal about it. Like, holy, like, bro, like you guys are just so much better. And then it was funny because we went to stage one, and they went up three zero on us, and I'm just like, oh my, I I, <laughs> I I kid you not, we went down three zero. Me and Nick are just looking at each other, classic. And I, in my head, I'm just thinking I'm about to get roasted by all these freaking fans, <laughs> like this. 
about to get drilled. Oh. And then we brought it back and whatever and made it close. And honestly, after that, which the main reason I got positive feedback because it was just like day one. At the end of the day, day one. So they're like, good games, man. Y'all fall hard. So like there are the, I, I won't group them. They are like the good fans. And, but you'll definitely get a lot of bad tweets um, just regardless. But I mean, I think, I think it's not just Call of Duty though. No, no, like, we're think, not in yeah. other, we're not in other, uh, I know a lot of people go like hard for like, Oh, like the optic fans are the, are the most toxic and whatnot. I think it's just more so because there's more of them. So there's more yeah. tweets. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's funny when, when how you mentioned Krim because as pros, we all like respect them now. And we're just like, you now you see the other side because you was blinded by it for five years. Like yeah. first he was the villain, right? Against them in the cold AG dynasty. Then he joins them. And I think those like four years, which during those four years, credit to him, he would still block optic fans. Like he has <laughs> them blocked. Like he, he would say that. He's like, what? Like I still block these guys. If they tweet me something dumb, I'm blocking them. I don't care if they support me, like get out of here. But I think now that he's on the other side again, he's uh he sees it and he goes to bat for us. Like you said, he went to bat for me uh obviously the carson situation just like just anything he just he's just he's been fighting now for yeah, like he's, far he's, side he's he sees it. yeah like so as pro players we respect him for that we're like yeah it took you a while we've been seeing this for for six years but now that you're on this side and you see it but like i said i think it's i think all fan bases probably have some toxic people that's just yeah. how it is it's the internet it's easy to just say i mean it's what the saying is right you, you tweet me that you hate me and hope i whatever older stuff but i you're that guy that also shows up to the scuff booth and asks for my autograph like yeah. it's just the internet and it's easy for people to just say hateful things and a lot of the times you're like ah, let me test this one hey man that was rude oh bro i didn't expect a response from you i love you loony it's like <laughs> yep you see like this is what i'm talking about like that's what i'm telling you a lot of them you just reply to them they probably instantly become your fan or something like that they're just they're just also uh looking for a reaction out of you and stuff like that so i had the, I had, I had the opposite experience recently actually someone tweeted me some dumb shit on my timeline so i quote tweeted them and i was like yeah this is stupid um they were not happy i did that they were, <laughs> they were like going mad trying to dm me they actually went onto my youtube and left comments on like every video just think, cussing oh, me okay. out like and it wasn't like <laughs> copy and paste it was like just it just new shit like you're fucking useless and i was like oh god i was like this guy clearly is no longer a fan of mine um yeah. but he's 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 an interesting one with regards to this right is it worse to, as uh, you know just for you wise is it worse to have though that that fan feedback just saying horrible things or if you get criticized by someone in the spotlight like, i don't know say say i made a video or say on the desk you get slated or or whatever what kind of gets to you more uh i think desk i think as pro players we've always complained about the desk uh -huh. um that's just like casters anyone because they have such a big like popularity and like you can they can just say whatever they want and like i feel like yeah. fans just echo it they just echo it we've complained about it so many times uh i mean last year the situation with seattle right they're just like sam needs help sam needs help so what happened the fans just that it, it couldn't have been like it could have been bandwagon it could have been people having their own opinions but it was just like i think that's where slacks uh stock went down or apathies or someone because you just get bashed into the ground, right? Like that's what, that's what I'm saying with Slack. Is like he's viewed as like toxic now, or or whatever the case may be. Just because of uh, his tweets when he was just like, "Oh, people asked how scrims are going," and it was like a, a screenshot of like Panda and Proto getting smoked or whatever, which was just like a joke. But obviously, fans viewed it differently. But 
I think that annoys pro players more than just like pros tweeting you. It's is there just, a way to fix it? Just, like, how, what is the correct way to do that? Because I've I've always maintained, and like I think it's pretty obvious to anybody who's ever known me or watched me. Like, I've always said I will be harsh. I'm not. I'm never harsh for uh, sakes of clickbait or tweets. I don't really care. I've always said if I can defend my point from a logical point of view, I will say whatever the hell I want about a player. Um, yeah. Because in my mind, you can't have a pl- not every player is good. Obviously, it's yeah. always in context, right? You're all all professionals are the top zero point zero zero one percent of players, right? But in context, you know, I even said a few weeks ago, I said most of them are, you know, are in that mediocre section, right? The ninety percent of players fit within a, with the spectrum of not being gods at some point. Um, but what is the correct way to do it? Because oh, yeah. if I said something negative about a player, like sometimes you know a more popular player especially will just can just body me on the timeline regardless of how correct i am <laughs> right i could be i, I could be 100 bona fide correct right and they can just say you don't know anything shut up and, it, and it's difficult it is difficult you know even even an educated person myself who's been around for a decade of call of duty to express an opinion when maybe they don't have it maybe it's speculative true um to bring criticism to players because i think it is a necessary thing in call of duty i have to you you have to bring players down in terms of you know reputation to allow them to be built back up to create storylines because if it's just two good teams going against each other and they're all, all they all could be good it'll be great fun like how do i differentiate whether or not somebody is having a reputation like i said see your team's a great example right if you guys had all done you know okay last year and, and hadn't had all these storylines it would be a less interesting team you would have a less interesting storyline for people to, yeah. to engage with yeah, I mean, it's tough. Obviously, Nameless is on the desk. He's been on the desk now for like three years, I think. Yeah. So he's the one that has a, obviously like a line of communication with pros because he's been a player. We've talked about it with him a lot. And he just like, it's just tough. Like in reality, kind of like you said, not all of you guys are good. Like yeah. to that standard, at least. So like at some times we're going to have to call whoever's underperforming trash. But like, I don't know. It is, it is hard. I understood it from talking to him more and stuff like that about it, where like sometimes you have to just say it how it is. And that's kind of like how he defended the Seattle search uh, thing when they're just like, like, bro, like they don't have an SMG star. Yeah. Apathy has been one in this past or slacked and stuff, but currently like they're not going, they're not putting up those numbers or even just like the high kill games. Even if you go like a 40 or 40 and obviously what a 1.0, like, they just weren't doing that. And I think that we felt like that's what they lack. And I'm just like, yeah, I guess I can see that. It just sucks. Cause like I said, the way fans view that is all right, this guy sucks forever now type thing. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, I so think that's where it's just tough. Nameless gets it from both angles, right? He gets it from pros and fans. Yeah. Regardless yeah. of what he's, and I, I, I defend, I've defended Nameless in the past, right? Because it's not easy to be on a desk. I think the way the desk has been done over the last couple of years could do with a workaround. Like they, they, they've been, trying things out and it's still not hitting quite correctly for me regardless of talent on there like i said i think nameless is, is come on leaps and bounds in terms of like breaking stuff down for the community and trying to get yeah. his point across and, and be who he is and you know you can't i think the the biggest thing for for ant right is you can't really knock him because he's been a pro player and he's been doing this for so long like who else is going to do it to, to that level and i'm sure anybody else who steps in that role is going to get absolutely flamed as well at the same time um, but it's just curious yeah. to me, like how how do we improve that and go forward and and allow people to go, hey, this guy is bad, and not just get it all clickbait on Deserto one day because uh, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. what that's what happens, right? Yeah, uh, it is tough. Like I said, I think another thing that like pro players complain about, or just like when it comes to desks and stuff, and like player opinions, is just 
not knowing the play that you're critiquing or the game that you're critiquing, what actually went on. So we've always talked about like when CTF was a thing. Yeah. You're a lot like, why didn't he just run the flag? Like he had the open lane and we're like, but does that player really know that that lane's open? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you have all the information. You don't know what players, uh, what information the players have. And I've seen that happen a lot, whether it's an S and D play or stuff like that, where if you just view the game from a cod catcher's perspective, and that's the only way you ever view the game and you always just have every, every bit yeah. of information. You don't know what's going on in the player's head. We don't have all that information. We're not playing with x-ray vision. And sometimes, and I'm not saying all the time, sometimes a caster will just hit like a, a statement as a fact in that, that said play, which just <laughs> yeah. makes that player just look like he's just the dumbest player on earth. Yeah. But you just don't know what, what's going on in, in the comms or anything like that. Like when I was doing my hindsights, for example, Going in depth, I would always say, yeah, it looks like this player made the bad play, but you don't know what happened in the comms. You don't know if his AR told him, hey, push this out for me, and it didn't, didn't end up working out, and it wasn't his fault or whatnot. So I think that's something you can take into account. I understand not taking it into account into every single play because then it just gets like, it, like, you can't just always give the guy the benefit of the doubt, but it just kind of sucks when it is. It wasn't that player's fault, and it's just like put on him for, like, for example, Pristini, right? In the round 11 against Optic, when he like hit the left on Arklov and Insta died, how do we know that they didn't tell him to do that? And it's just like, yeah. well, they saw it. It, it could have been like it's difficult. It is. And I, I tweeted him right after, like they won, and you just see him go like, like I'm just like, bro, I know what you like, what was in your head when you were dead. Like you're <laughs> yeah. just thinking like every single Huntsman fan is about to roast me for getting blood on round 11. But again, you don't know if formal or RCs or someone yeah. told them hit that. Like, just go. And, like, so it's just one of those situations, like I said, where that, I think, has to get in, taken into account yeah. a little bit more. And, you know, Pristini's not a shot caller. May have, yeah. he have called that play himself, but I know someone probably told him to do that, and it's just unfortunate they preamed him to kill them. Luckily, yeah. like I said, they won it regardless. <laughs> but the situations like that, you know, like, it, I'm not saying it could have, but they could have gone to the desk, and they're breaking down that play. Like, yeah, I don't know why Pristini did that. And it's just like, and now fans are like, oh my God, Pristini's trash. Like, yeah, yeah see, yeah, I knew it. You know, I, think, so. I think that's the reason I brought up Ant, right? Because I've, I've obviously worked with Ant for a, for a while as well. So I see both sides. But I know for a fact that he's been discussing stuff in the green room about it. He's, I've yeah. seen him make notes. Like, people don't understand the amount of work it goes into going on oh, there yeah. and, and giving an opinion on, on, on anything, right? Because that's what you're paid for, right? Yeah. If you are on these situations, if you are a caster or a host or an analyst, I've done it, they do not want you to sit there and be a nodding head because then people say that the desk or the casters are boring as shit. And yeah. it is your job you are working for. Like, if I do a hot take, and, it, you know, I try not to do hot takes that are, that are always terrible, but I've done it, you know, <laughs> I've, I've, called, I've called shit before, and uh, yeah. so a player's going, this is fucking stupid, you're wrong. And I'm like, well, explain to me how it's wrong so I don't do it again, because... I can only cast what I can see, and obviously I do see more. And I've always, it's something like I've always preached about, like S&Ds, for instance, right? I said, the first thing anybody should be doing when looking at an s is trying to figure out what information both teams know. It's, it's, it's super obvious as well, right? If you ever watch an S&D, and you'll see this, Looney, like, you've got to keep an eye on what the players are seeing. Like, what crosses yeah. have they seen? What shoulders are they picking? What information they have. Yeah, because you, they, nothing happens on that map until the information has come through. And it's why yeah. some rounds you can predict a team is going to go A or B, simply because you know, well, they've tried this situation. They know roughly where the distribution of the enemy players are. Now they're going to try and switch it. And that's how you predict shit. It's not, it's not going, oh, I've, you know, I've watched them play this a million times. It's 
what have they seen what are they going to see and that's how they react and obviously that's something that it's not always easy to get across to to people watching casually because they just go oh they keep going out they should just keep going out it's fucking obvious and i'm like well no, not really because well, they don't know what's going to happen it's funny you say that because in that same exact round 11 i saw a lot of people too like you guys should have just gone a after you killed pristini and it's like they don't know that chicago just over rotated like especially yeah. in a 5v5 atmosphere like four players can still stop a push like what Easily. if they did rotate Easily. what if like like i said like a lot of players like you don't know the information they had one they didn't have any, optic didn't have anyone on the left side of the map so they didn't know of anyone there how do you know that it wasn't an all-out rush on all angles of the map and pristini rushed the left side and envoy rushed the right side and he went down your trenches and all of a sudden he's on your side so if you cut through connector he just shoots you guys all in the back and then it's like why'd they go away they should have just committed b like I, like I said, I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of tweets like that. Like they should have just gone A or whatnot. Like the one play I think you can critique is it did take them too long to kill Scum. Yeah, that's like the one thing that I think Optic will not argue with you. But as far as like you guys should have gone A, like they don't have that information that Chicago just over rotated all through spawn. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it's just like I said, and one of those and, things and where it's tense, right? Like that situation yeah, is yeah, not exactly. like you like play, even even like veterans like yourself, right? In that situation, you're sitting there going, like, everybody's trying to figure out what's happening at the same time while not giving away kills. The time is going down. We, you know, I've said it a few times, right? It's, take S&D, for example. You know, the clock will kill teams if they, if they hesitate, but they'll hesitate for very good reason. They don't have the information. They either have to make wild plays, go, right, fuck it, just go. Yeah, <laughs> like, we're, yeah, just gonna, exactly. we're just going to go. Dark love. Yeah. On, on minute 30. <laughs> like... If yeah. you rotate A and there was some people there, there was some resistance and you couldn't take the bomb site, it's just like, well, now we can't go back to B. It's Arclough peak. Like, this rotation might be a little too long. So, it's just, it's just, uh, it sucks, which, like I said, I, I understand it, though. I mean, like you said, you have to make a brand for yourself. You have to be able to take those hot takes and, and take it in the chin. Yeah, 100%. Yeah? Uh, 100%. You know, you're going to get proven wrong, which I know a lot of cashers and desks play, it's always say, like, listen... You guys are gonna get O two'd, or or you guys are gonna want to match this event. Prove me wrong. It's like okay, like I, it's that's fair. Yeah, no, hundred uh, percent. Let's do questions from the chat. So if, if you're watching, yep. put questions in the chat because uh, I still have a few to to come. So first of all, let's talk Cold War. Uh, yeah. Super relevant betas this weekend. Um, yep. You've obviously played the alpha. I'm just double checking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you think? Um, Pretty easy question. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think guns were good. Uh-huh. Right. You had uh I started experimenting with the Uzi a little bit more after the 74U. Uh I like I like the gunplay. I think obviously balancing it will be fine. I think ARs were kinda not as happy. I think it, it the beta was kind of subdominant. It could be just be maps and stuff like that, but it did seem yeah. like it was subdominant. But um my worry currently is just the laziness when it comes to wild cards. Just if you just throw on a perk greed, it gives you six perks. You throw on what is it like the gunfighter you get eight attachments that's my biggest worry i think and especially having um having flak and tack in the same uh thing i think you need to add like a third viable perk in there to make people decide between flak and tack that's kind of like my biggest worry uh -huh. is just the laziness behind perk per, behind perks i think that having a good perk system is huge for competitive you shouldn't, in my opinion, you have you should be risking a lot to counter utility. Yeah. Like my biggest example is Black Ops 2, right? You had you had 
I think what makes a good COD is having three base perks that are like you're kind of like forced to run. Yeah. Black Ops 2 had dexterity. That was kind of like the 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 force perk three. Toughness was a for a force perk two. And then like lightweight was kind of a force perk one. But and if you didn't run lightweight, you felt it, right? Like yeah. you felt slow. And then you had flak in perk one where you had to choose. Uh, you had, I think it was hardwired, so you don't get a impede in perk two. And then you had tack mass in perk three, but then you also had extreme conditioning in perk three. So like, I think that perk system also helped Black Ops 2. And it's very underrated where it's like, okay, if I want to, if I want to uh, counter a nade, I have to run either perk one greed, but then that leaves you vulnerable for a stun and then like vice versa. Or if you just go super soldier, which I know like Proofy did and Goonjar did, but they're slow. Yeah. Like, they can't move around the map. So, like, if you, for example, if you win a rotation and they're running that class, they are, they have one push. Like, them, them individually have one push. So, I think a perk system is very underrated. And for them being lazy and just not only just adding a perk degree and just saying, hey, you have six perks, we'll see how it plays out. I just think you have to have like perks that we want to use. So, I think MW ran into that trouble, right? Perk two people were running like Ghost or, or whatever the, uh, I think it was like Point Man. Yeah. Which really didn't do much like we were just running it because we had to so i think you have to have per a good perk system and that was my big catch i guess you can say in cold war yeah but it feels like it was, they that. always change it up we get a good we get a good thing and we're like oh this is this is and it's, and for me it's like problems we've never encountered it's like oh they've changed this i don't know why they've changed it but you know yeah. from game to game and then it's like oh now we have it's to we have a whole new set of problems for. yeah yeah things we didn't ask for and they just think it gets boring so they're like they want to move away from it they want yeah. to do something new like for example having 80 attachments like yeah i mean the benefit though right and this is, this, i'll give them credit this year at least you get stats like genuine yeah. stats this year yeah, yeah, yeah plus eight percent minus eight yeah. percent rather than That's oh here's true. a bar that may mean something i don't know what the fuck but we went we used to have what yeah you rocked bling in modern warfare 2 for like two attachments or three attachments whatever it was yeah. like now it's just like here have five you can just full stack <laughs> your gun for free. Like, uh, yeah, it's not, really not having like a big system. I'm curious to see what the, the pro rules are out there. Because obviously, like, for me, I always have this problem with Call of Duty betas and stuff. And it's just ruined me for, for basically enjoying Call of Duty like I used to a decade ago. I'm always like, oh, this pubs is, is not as fun as I want. I just want to play competitive. Because I know competitive will be a smoother experience. Even if I yeah. get dumpstered on, right? I know that I'm going to be less frustrated about being outgunned than I am going to be against something that's in the game that I hate. Um, yeah there's always it's always curious to me to, to come see that goes down um lots of people talking about the movement system in, in cold war how did you feel about the mechanics and, and, and how about to move around compared to modern warfare yeah so the slide and alpha was like a way to move around and it was faster it gave you like a, a boost when you slid you yeah. were faster than just a full sprint which is mad by the way just yeah <laughs> which i know they addressed already so we'll see yeah. i think i'm not sure if the beta is going to have the new slide but i'm sure that's something that hopefully is an open line of communication because in black ops 4 we tried many times to get them to, to patch like the slide cancel and it just it seems like they couldn't figure it out so hopefully you figure that out early because yeah. again i just i don't like having a mechanic that is used every single time to initiate a gunfight yeah i don't mind it in certain situations and stuff but if you're just gonna like for example monomorpher obviously slide cancel everything like yeah if you weren't slide canceling to get into a gunfight like you're dead and i that's where i think i there's I, obviously there's arguments like that's a skill that's not a skill i'm on the side where i don't think it's a skill i think if a guy's on a head glitch and he outpositioned you you shouldn't have a mechanic that puts you in favor of that gunfight 
Yeah, no, I, like, I, I can see that argument all like, day. That's my thing. It actually put, like, you're at the advantage because of, obviously, Camrain and all that stuff. But we'll see how the beta plays out when it comes to the slide dump. I'm always a fan of Dolphin Dive. Oh, oh, so am I. Why would they not just bring that back? Because it, you can't really abuse it. <laughs> like, there's very little way to I, abuse I, a Dolphin Dive. When I went, when we went back to World War II and we were playing, I was like, wow, like, the, the, the biggest, like, input, you know, everyone was like, dude, slide canceling, you have to input a combo into your controller and stuff like that because attachment and stuff. I'm just like, wow, like, the biggest combo in World War II is punch diving because it gave you an, an extra, like, little length of distance. distance. I'm like, just imagine that. And it was, it's still a good, because I know all these mechanics are put in for movement and like evasion okay. and stuff like that. I'm like punch diving is a good way to avoid a fight. Like you, your body's flat. So he has to hit good shots. And like, if you go back to world war two, a lot of the time people just punch dive out of a spot and that's what that's supposed to be right. Yeah. A way to get out of a sticky situation. So yeah. it's also one of those mechanics that I think just makes sense for players, for people watching. It's a dramatic thing, right? You are literally diving for cover, for objective, like diving a flag in or doing any of that shit, like it makes sense um, to, to, to see it like that. The sliding thing is mad. Like I was playing uh, Warzone earlier and I realized, okay, I just, it's just, it's just inbuilt now. I'm just slide canceling everywhere um, because obviously well, I don't know if you I saw the video that people, when you add things like that too, someone is in a break it and people already broke it. It was like if you went prone and then slid, like you literally like slid like a snake, like a wood yeah, out. I saw that. It's just like, <laughs> When you add things like this, it's going to get abused. Like, someone's going to figure it out. That's why I I saw Ake's tweet, like, Shotzi's, like, punch in every single combo you can, break it now so we can get it fixed. Like, just break it now. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's happened almost every quarter. I remember G sliding. Remember, you had to to get the G slide for timing, right? If If you you missed it. Yeah. Yeah, if you missed it, you were were screwed. Yeah, you had to call it out as well. Like, that's how bad of a mechanic it was, G sliding. People were like, oh, you know, oh, it's skill. You got to get it. I missed it. Yeah, if you don't get your G-slide off certain things, you miss your timing, that changes your entire S&D round. Yeah, it's just, exactly. it's, it's madness. And I think that's one of the things, like, from a casual thing, because I did a, a silly thing and, and saw a tweet on Reddit earlier about, uh, oh, I don't know if you've seen this one. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can quickly read it out to you, because it is absolutely insane what someone on the Cold War Reddit said, because it hit uh, Cold Competitive. Um, and it talks about, like, the difference between pro players and casual players is that pros get paid. There's literally no other difference. And it's just it's just mental, but that's what you're going against, like every year. Um about, you know, uh expectation. It's for for a pro player, you know that you are obviously better than the majority of people out there. It's just how you yeah. are supposed to be. Casual players never really understand it. And I've had this experience in my life uh, before. Here we go. I found it. Um <laughs> I'll read this out to you because it is insane. Um Zero difference between a pub stomper and someone who plays for money. I'm sure if you pitted one against the other, the pro player would likely lose. Skill-based matchmaking has been confirmed to be in CODs for years, and no matter how good you think you are, there's always someone better. And people are more sweaty now than ever before. So even if it were toned down, I still think you'd find more sweats than you would previously regardless. So that statement that you would be beating by a pub stomper, um yourself like <laughs> what do you think like because that's what we're going against right the the casual community not understanding professional yeah i mean it depends right if it's a one-on-one like i think anything can happen if you go into rust like i i would take my i'll put my money on a pub stomper but like or on a pro player but like 
what makes us pro players is just obviously the talent, the raw gun skill, but it's also yeah. our smarts, right? So like, I'm sure a lot of pub stompers have really good shots. Yeah. I'm sure there's a dashy out there shooting dummy straight, but like, we're probably be better pub stompers just because we manipulate spawn and stuff like that. You just don't know like the level of, of, of a pub stomper. Like for example, I think satellite is a perfect pub stomp map. Uh-huh. Like everyone hated that map, but you can easily spawn trap if you have like two, three good players. Like we were, me and goon were playing and we ran into a team. They probably have like a competitive background. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure because they tweeted us so that they obviously know of us, which yeah. is another thing, right? Most like, underage fans are probably all pup stompers but like they put us in a spawn trap and it's just like okay like they beat us and then we are like all right put the snipers away let's go hard and then we beat them so it's just like it's a situation where pup stompers that's that's where i started for example i was a pup stomper i had to play hardcore snd in world at war and just drop like 20 plus in snd in hardcore like 6v6 or whatever and just like so i think that's where you start to yeah, they're probably not pros yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a pub stomper out there that can beat someone in a one a pro player in a one v one. Like, yeah, I think it's so it's so interestingly subjective to because everyone talks about Call of Duty. Oh, there's a low skill curve. I'm like, there is a skill curve. It's just hard to define sometimes because I always use examples. Right, there are examples of this throughout uh, Call of Duty history. There are ones where I've seen. I like, take Ali A for instance. Right, the yeah. the Call of Duty YouTuber. I've seen him play against Swan. I've watched him play as I've watched many pro players play. And I know he's pretty damn tasty at Call of Duty before he went over to Fortnite. Like, I know he's decent. Vic Star yeah. has come into Warzone tournaments recently and done very, very well, you know, yeah. in that competitive environment. So there are people who can do it. Um, I also know that there was a, uh, a YouTuber event I went to, for instance, uh, where there was one pro player invited and a PR person had to go up halfway through a match and ask them to put their controller down. Because the other influencers that were there were getting so badly destroyed um, that it was mm-hmm. making them look bad. Right? Yeah. And, that, and that's happened. I yeah. also know, like, uh, the last example I give, because, right, take me, for instance. I wouldn't even get close to you, and I know this, because I can be honest about my skill level. Like, I'm a dead average competitor. Um, I enjoy playing competitive. Well, I didn't realize again until recently how high above normal pub players competitors are, um, because I went to go play against some of my cousin's friends. So we jumped into their lobby and I'm just doing very basic things like uh, just straight jumping around a corner or, or yeah, any of and that. They're right? and, like... they're, and they're like, what are you doing, man? How are you jumping further? Are you cheating? And I'm just snapping on, on people like because it's just like messing yeah. around. Public players don't do that for the majority of time. Like it's not a normal thing, um, especially if skill, ba- skill based matchmaking is a thing. They're not getting into those lobbies where people can do that. So that's like new to them, which is yeah. like mind blowing. Like you said, it's just like if they see a drop shot and they're just like what the hell just happened to me like it's just it's just like you said skill and i've always said this when it comes to players coming to cod if they're talented elsewhere they're gonna be able to shoot straight in cod more than likely if they're if they're comfortable with a controller if they're comfortable with a mouse and keyboard like uh and a lot of these like or most of the a lot of these players which i didn't know i have call of duty background like Oh yeah, I played Call of Duty as a kid. I just went away from it. And I think an- another big thing where it comes to like pub stompers being there's more players that are skilled is just because since people see esports growing, they're gonna they're gonna see it's viable and there's just more masses playing than back then, where yeah. it was like not as many players playing because more people are getting into video games, more people are grinding, more people are getting better. Like 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 to your point, like players like Pomage and I think Pomage if he made the switch way 
long ago could be a pro player with how talented he is at obviously being like a quick scoper and, and, uh, and stuff like that. You have centering. That's what yeah. quick scoping is, is having good centering. And a good example of players, I'm pretty sure like Folsom back in Black Ops 2 transition heist, which I think heist was an absolute monster in Black Ops 2 and, and, uh, and Ghost when he transitioned. Like a lot of people are talented, like you said, where the transition can be made. And like I said, what separates us from everyone else is just our smarts when it comes to playing under a, a competitive atmosphere. No, a hundred percent, hundred percent. And I suppose you know that leads on to um, we were talking about the gears player coming over, right? Mental, yeah, mental going to like the kickoff that's happened. And I understood both sides of the argument. You know, like we spoke earlier about sub spots, you can take the risk for for a sub spot player like that in case it works out. At the same time, obviously, I can understand why amateurs are upset. They want the shot. They want to, they yeah. want to be signed up. They want to be in in a, in a, a big roster. But it also leads on to a question from the chat rather nicely. Somebody asks, uh, King Frederick asks, when evaluating players, people often discuss intangibles. However, what about orgs? What intangibles can orgs provide to players to ensure they're performing the best? Good question. <laughs> I repeat it one more time. Uh, yeah. So it's coming from, uh, from Twitter, so you probably can't see it. Uh, yeah. When evaluating players, people often discuss intangibles, right? The things yeah. that, you know, outside of it. But people are asking, what about organizations? What intangibles can orgs provide to players to ensure they are performing their best? Like, what what uh, can orgs do to help a player perform their best that isn't always readily obvious? Like, you know, obviously mm-hmm. they can give you a good salary, they can give you good coaches, yeah. but what else can an org actually do to help a player perform their best that's maybe not super obvious out of the box? I think it's just providing you with any tools. Like, I, I mean, I know what tools I need to, like, be the best. So, like, if you don't know that, is just like uh which Toronto Ultra did which is like provide just tools that you don't you think won't impact it and like you have to steadily like start believing in it. Like they the Toronto Ultra made us do a lot of things where we're just sitting here and you're just like, why am I doing this? Like this is <laughs> this isn't gonna be this isn't gonna make my KD from a one point one to a one point two. And I think it's also just because esports is young yeah. um and developed like for example, uh I was watching, I think it was a Legis uh, thing with that he did with like Honda, I think they're sponsored by. Uh-huh, yeah. uh, and he did a piece and he talked about like um, talking to like a psychologist or, or just like a therapist or just like people that can really get into your mental, which I'm sure professional athletes do, right? It's just, yeah. it's just building your mental strength with, which he, uh, he uh, recommended a book that I went out and got. And... I'm interested in what this book is now, actually. Right, right next to my, right next to my, and again, you won't think this has anything to do with COD, but it's the mental game of poker. So, uh, I'm gonna start it. I have it right here on my desk. I got here yesterday, and it talks about your tilt factor, laziness, motivation, confidence, focus, stuff like that. And I mean, that sounds like college to me, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm like, hey, I'm a tilter. Let me see how I can improve that. So I don't know. If, like I said, it's just being get, being more knowledgeable and just growing as a person, right? Being more mature. That's, that's another thing where like the age thing came about and enables like I can guarantee you I'm a better player at the age of 24 than I was at 18. Why? He's matured and stuff like that knows how to take criticism because as an 18 year old you're probably not taking depending on what kind of person you are you might not be taking criticism the best. So I think just building knowledge and just uh, educating yourself on a lot of things can uh, help. Like our my head coach asked, "All right, it's game day. What's your routine?" And I'm just like honestly like for me. 
like because he was just saying uh, i think it's called like peak performance yeah it's like what do you need to do to make sure you reach your peak when you're competing uh-huh. and it's just like whether, whether it's eating habits or or um how much sleep do you need and just things like that i think if as competitors as like uh professionals we don't really think about that right we have like a routine yeah. but like we don't think maybe yeah. i should do something different and it would help like for me i don't eat on game days i don't like to i don't like i don't want my stomach which crim talked about this i don't want my stomach feeling any type of way when i'm blind so i don't want to have a bad banana or like whatever <laughs> the case may be like i'm not trying to eat some weird meal before i play well, that's. So I, I mean, think that's, those types of intangibles that Anori can like bring to you. It's just, it's just tools to to improve. Like, I you, think a huge tool that I asked for that I never got on Toronto Ultra is give me, uh, the maps, the layouts. Yeah. Where I can just mark them up and erase them, like uh, like uh, transparent things. Yeah. So I can like, for example, we can go over a hill. I can we can just be sitting in a vod room and I can just yeah. write up all this. All right, they spawn here, 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 here. Like it's just like I said. Some players might not know the tools they need. I know what tools I need. I know what can even make my smarts elevate more. Yeah. But I think I think one thing is just like educating yourself on like mental toughness. Because again, I've said this a million times. COD, all COD pros shoot straight. Yes, there's a dashy, there's a there's a simp, there's a people that sh- shoot even more frequency. But that benefits them in some freak two pieces they get, obviously. Um, and a lot of pro players. Once they make a mistake, they know they made it. Yeah. They know they made it. Like in practice, our splice team in Black Ops 4, we make a mistake like, yeah, we know. Yeah, we know. Yeah, we know. Yeah, yeah. we know. But we don't actually like apply it to our game so you don't make it again. So I think uh, practicing better. And like again, that comes with like, um, Anora can help you that, provide you with a good coach. Yeah. Uh, and and give his the coach the proper tools as well. Oh, I think that was a problem too. Is they didn't really give Mark like proper tools. Like it was just like, here's here's a computer record. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. More you can give. I think uh, I think Pack talked about that too. We're just like sometimes if if coaches were get, were given more resources, they can do a way better job. Yeah, well, it's just uh, I mean, this is going off tangent. I had loads of fucking follow up to that. Um. It's, it's people spoke about London, right? London had three coaches. I'm like, that's probably about yeah. the right amount at the moment because that way a head coach can delegate and go over the, the wider plan and manage people. You've got a strategic coach and an assistant coach who can do a lot of the the paperwork. There's probably even more paperwork that can be done that will come in in the years where coaches have to fill out, like, here's a development plan, here's what we're doing, we've got an analyst to work out numbers. Like, it's a lot more complicated and coaching will get a lot more deep. Um, one of the questions I was going to ask you, you said about your stomach. Do you Would you ever, like, if you had a nutritionist come in for search, for instance, Say, hey, I've, I've worked out your, your metabolic rate. We've, we've done some tests with you and all this sort yeah. of stuff. Here is a diet plan. Here yeah. is your plan now to, here's what you do, run up his scrims. Here's what you eat on game day or even have a chef. Because obviously, so I heard during the year that some teams had chefs. Uh, and one team had a chef and basically, from what I could tell, drove the guy to insanity because he was preparing lovely dishes and they just wanted chicken and chips constantly and just basically yeah, were just yeah. ruining this, this professional chef. Um, yeah. But like, do you think that's that's something that you would uh, entertain more as, as time yeah, has gone on? 100%. Like I said, because you have to think about it, right? At an event, most people just like go to Subway. Like, you know, you're at an event and so you're going to eat out. It's not like you can cook a meal at your hotel and just yeah. like, hey, 
like if if a meal was provided and i knew and i like you said if i've tested it obviously the first thing you do is test it in practice right all right i'm gonna eat this meal i'm gonna practice um and it's weird too because sometimes you have 10 a.m matches so what are you are you eating breakfast or are you already eating a freaking subway sandwich like so that's just things that you can test to see how how your body reacts and and things like that because i personally don't even do caffeine 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 like is i don't know i just one i don't like feel more energized i don't know what it is um i just i just don't do even caffeine so it's just things again you just have to experiment with but i'll be open to it like because again sometimes we have long days where i probably should eat yeah i mean i can eat and i can eat something yeah and i can eat something that that can hold me through the day and not affect me I suppose it's it's one of those things like back in the day, like especially if you got into like a loser bracket run, there was no chance, there was no time for like nutrition. There oh, was, I just, I'm yeah, I'm just gonna just Seattle run, yeah, yeah just <laughs> throw in food and, and hope for the best. What's something also as players we talked about with like Slasher when at, like I said the Seattle run, right? Your first match is usually like 10 a.m. on that Sunday. Yeah. So we would decide, all right, do we want to wake up and get a scrim, or do you want that extra hour of sleep? And we're like, nah, let's just do the extra hour of sleep because it's going to be a long day, right? Yeah. Like that scrim might help us win the first match, but then who knows? We might run out of gas if we do make it that far. Yeah, and everybody's going to be like, we had teed a, up, yeah. right? no easy games. Yeah. yeah. So we decided on the extra sleep and it probably paid off. We went the whole way and had to win two best of fives against TG. So it just, it's just those decisions. Like you said, though, that's not a thing nowadays with the, with the format, but it's something yeah. to think about. No, 100%. 100%. Like I said, I think it's... For me, it's interesting that obviously franchises are going to look more and more into this. They've got to. Like I heard some teams did, uh, you know, uh, reflex challenges, figure out where everyone's yeah. reflexes are, like develop this sort of shit because people want that develop, right? If you can get faster reflex and there's somebody who knows how to do that and works out for pro athletes, well, I've known players in the past that have done things for hand-eye coordination. You know, they've had little yeah, games on their no, phones and stuff sure. and, and figured we it out. doing that. We had 3D glasses and we'd get on on like our, our PCs and there's a, I think it was called like Visual Edge. Uh-huh. And we'd get on that and you'd throw on your 3D glasses and it was, it was the exact same thing, like just testing your eyes and reaction and all types of things, memory, yeah. just things that to constantly train your brain. Yeah, 100%. Uh, let's, let's move on because I've got a few more questions yeah. to do and obviously I want to let you go because you've got to go compete. Yeah, no worries. Um, Right, let's have a look. Questions from the chat. Um, someone asked, is it your year? What a, ridiculous, what a great question. Always um, an answer, yes. Always an answer, yes. Um, have you asked Lenny about his thoughts on the bubble? What do you think about a bubble? I mean, it's a massive question, but just kind of well, your for me, service thoughts. For me, just a quick answer would be, obviously, I was away from home for six months, and that did not sit well with me. Uh, obviously, it had to do with also being benched. I'm sure it would have been different if I was actually competing, but if there was a bubble, I just hope it's not season long i hope like it's like a two max like three month thing because um big thing is players have houses players have families like you can't just abandon that i mean you can i mean nba players (laughs) did it so we can't really complain but i just think as long as it's it's not a crazy length of time like if not like all right from february to july or august you're just gone it's just yeah. like uh come on like, i think a lot of players would uh, go stir crazy as well like for me it's just length uh, yeah that's fair i think that's fair um here's a good question how do you feel your sub duo with preston will compete with simps and abizis uh like i said uh teamwork is the dream work for me uh a lot of people just didn't see me and Tej. but just think about the, the two teams that won the most right 
Yeah. DK in World War II. I know I'm using World War II as an example, but it's the last 4v4 COD. You have to keep in mind. Not, it's not 5v5. Uh, first, the first sub duo was Kenny and Theory. A lot of people obviously Kenny carried the weight. After that, it was me and Tej. And after that, it was Kenny and Enable. Like, uh, um, a lot of people thought, what Red Reserve probably had a better sub duo. And what, what was that at the time? Like, Craps and someone else, or Trey or Joe. Yeah, because Joe moved to Flex at one point. So I think at one point, I think Scraps and Zero, and a lot of people look at them like that's stronger than Tej and Looney, but they couldn't beat us. You're gonna, you can credit that to Gunless, you can credit that to Slasher or whatever, but it's just at the end of the day, as, as long as me and Preston work well together and set up M and Gunless, yeah, uh, I think we'll be fine. I think teamwork, like I said, always wins. For, uh, every, every pro player will tell you that. Every... I think that what's what separated Empire from Atlanta. Yeah. Okay. No. No. I think that's a great answer. Actually, I think. Yeah. That's, uh... Obviously, matching up, it's Shotzi and Hook and Illy are up there with Simp and Abizi, but I I can tell you that Simp and Abizi are probably the strongest on paper sub duo, but they're beatable. No. I mean, we, we've said that, right? Is, uh, as long as our teamwork is on point and we work hard, and and uh, our chemistry is there, and we put ourselves in 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 good spots i'm sure if i'm on a head glitch or presence on a head glitch or if we're pre-aiming we're gonna get the kill so i that, think it just comes down to our teamwork that's fair like i said i think that's a great answer like people have been asking it and you know you, you have a reasonable answer to it like i think for me you know people have to people are always going oh yeah they, they'll never beat this dude and i'm like well you don't know you don't know until it's tried well, you don't know exactly what's going to happen in game look at ultra i think ultra is a good example of that they beat Atlanta in that round 11 at the yeah. Toronto home series. And what their sub trio compared to Atlanta's was classic was I'm sure you guys don't think is the craziest of players. Kleenex, which that's who you're going to think is a superstar. And then Bantz. Yeah. Cammy's the flex. So it's just like those were, it was them three against Selium, Simp, and Abizi. So I'm sure a lot of you, or if you can throw Preston instead of Selium, I don't know who was the flex at the time, but I'm sure a lot of you guys would just take Atlanta, but who came out on top? Yeah. It's Ultra. And it's just, it's just teamwork. So. 100 percent uh well i'll do a couple more questions because i'd like i said i'd like you to go and get ready and i'm sure you know you've got stuff to do um what the best questions from the group let's have a look um who decided to break up after world war ii what happened there uh, it was this, it was it was in a bound to be ha happen because uh gunless didn't really like uh slasher so okay okay that's fair i think that's a, that's a good that's a good quick answer yeah, as well yeah and tj ended up joining optic like Kind of like, I think it was like a week or two after Champs before any of us had even spoke. So like I said, I would have done things differently. I probably, a day or two or three days after Champs, probably should have typed in the group chat and kind of try to squash all that quicker, which like I said, I, I said it previously, it was a mistake. But yeah, that was kind of the, the big thing. Okay, last last two here, because it should be easy. Yep. Um, someone asked, which do you prefer, Open Racket to Pool Play or the Home Series? Uh, as a fan, they dislike the home series because much less COD is played. Uh, I think it's just scheduling-wise. Like, what do you think in terms of like the old way of doing it to the new way? Uh okay. So old way, if if the if we did home series, uh, our Seattle run never happened. Like a lot of these runs just don't happen in uh, if it's not open to pool play. So it just depends. Like if it, obviously pool play gives you opportunities, which it gave us an opportunity at Seattle. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, we started at top 20, but we can still win the tournament, which yeah. we see. Whereas in a home series, you can't. You win, you lose two, you're done. So, yeah. Or I think it's two in pool. I think it's win two before you lose two. So yeah, it definitely changes opportunities. Uh, definitely, obviously, sucks for amps. Uh, open, open bracket. 
Bracket is a grind, abs. though. It's still fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the best placing open bracket team was FaZe in World War II at the first event because them and Echo Fox both said it. I think one got fourth, one got top six. So it's not like AMS have ever like came out and won, but AMS that is a, a start for them to start sh showing that they can they can compete. Um, but it could be a blessing and a curse. Uh, and our my example always when it comes to that was GGA Orange, like that spoof mayhem team. Yeah, they would yeah. run the am bracket, but as soon as they got to pool play, they just get destroyed. So like, I think that's why those players never got a shot. But they would always make it to us, but then we would just smoke them. Like, All right. Where yeah. I think if say they made more noise, won one of the pools, one of the times they got in, or or just came out second, or just something, I think those players would have got a shot. But since they just always got like went 03, 04, or whatever the case, 1-3, I think that it also could hurt you. Like, yeah. you have to make sure once you get into there, you you prove that you're good, right? Where this this uh, system, none of these players had to prove. What, Awakening just destroyed on AMS, got picked up. Yeah, he ended up proving it, but to get that shot, all he had to do was smoke AMS. But I think it's, uh, a lot of people are saying like, oh, it's way harder to make it up. But like, now you just beat up on AMS. Yeah, you're your own league. You just beat up on M's and then you get called up. You never have to face us. I don't want to say us, but you don't. You don't have to face pros. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I get that. Like, I, I fully get that. It's a really interesting take on it as well. Okay, last question. Last question because yeah. I've already had you for longer than I wanted to anyway. Because um, I'm a talker, so well, no, mate. Honestly, fantastic guest. I love, I love yeah. it when you come on and talk Call of Duty. And honestly, I could have you on there for another two hours, but I know, I know you're a busy man. Um, this is a great question to end on as well, right? What do you say to entitled amateurs who are complaining that you took their slot? And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with yeah. you saying, you know, there was some critique and stuff about, you know, why you've been picked up and Krim come out to defend you. What do you say to these players who are just like, obviously probably talking mad shit behind the scenes or, you know, going mad about you now in search? I mean, just, just anyone. If, if, if M's feel any type of way, it depends on the player. Like, I know they have strong feelings for mental, right? Yeah. Like, for, for a, a sub spot. But as far as like for a starting spot, like if I don't know what M's would say, because I did just scrim them. And so, <laughs> like from my personal experience, like I would, I, I'm not going to say like they weren't winning maps off me, but like I, I showed during those six months when I was streaming, you can go back, I was smoking them. So I, for me personally, I think most M's respect me. And like I said, I, I followed more. I follow like I think if you go look at my last following, like my last hundred, I've just followed a whole bunch of amps because I was more involved in their scene. Uh, I do feel their pain and stuff like that. But personally, I don't think there are many amps trying to talk shit about me that I that I shouldn't have a spot. If there are any, well then you're just delusional because <laughs> I have uh, six championships and Modern Warfare was a bad year for me, but I didn't even get to finish it. Yeah. In Black Ops Four, I placed better than any of those M's. So I literally placed third at the first event. I got to a grand finals. So if there's any M's, any M's in particular trying to take my spot, like Raiders, I don't know. And I went to World <laughs> War II and smoked them all. If that World War II throwback had like a, a stat, I, I dead ass probably finished that throwback with like a 1.5. Like I showed yeah. I can still compete. So well, I, like, that, I mean, that's a, that's a very I'm, good I'm rebuttal. Sure like I said, I'm, <laughs> I'm very involved in the M scene, so I'm sure there's not a lot of entitled M's that are specifically saying, like, I should be on that Seattle roster over yeah. Looney. I know there are more subspots and, and elsewhere just because I'm involved. But, like like I said, um, I talk, like, for example, I talked to Sib. I think I, I, I saw, obviously, with that whole thing that happened with like Chicago where he, like, got suspended for a time. I talked to him. Yeah. I think he's next up. I have a good relationship with him. And I, like I said, I have a good relationship with most of these M's because... 
playing with them and against them for like the last six months, uh, changed my view on them. So I'm, uh, I, I don't think, I think it just sucks for them that it didn't expand and it went back to 4v4. I think a good, good chunk of those, like that Atlanta Academy, like Nagafin Fellows team, Standy, if it expanded and stayed 5v5, they would be on a team. So it, it just sucks for them, you know? But I just unfortunate that this wasn't their year where they can get that, that call up. But hopefully next year, if it expands, I can see a lot of these AMs if they just keep tearing up the AM scene come up. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I, think it's, I think it's a very good rebuttal. Like I said, I, it, I think it's more the hypothetical amateurs uh, than anything else. But uh, okay, like, let's uh, let's kind of wrap this up here because first of all, like I said, you've been a fantastic guest. I'm definitely going to have you back at some point, whether it's for another one-on-one -on -one or whether it's for something, uh, breaking down hot news or something. It's yeah. been great. I could definitely do this for several more hours. You have great yeah. viewpoints on everything, man, honestly. Um, but it, it's just a difficult one because obviously you've got things to do and people don't want to listen to an eight-hour podcast. But I appreciate yeah. it. Any last thing to say to the people listening or watching? Um, like I said, I think all their worries are are fair. I'm not worried. I'm not. I'm not mad that people think that this team can fail. But it's just it adds more uh, like fuel to our tank and wanting to prove people wrong. And I hope I hope we can do that. And I hope we come out strong. I I've had early success, plenty of times of like winning the first event or winning like the, one of the first like three. So hopefully we just come out strong and uh and just kind of prove them wrong early. That will, that, will, that will like kind of lift weight off our shoulders and and just cruise through the rest of the year so just look for us to come out strong for sure awesome all right well thank you very much uh it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and i'll be keeping yep. up with you thank all you. season long to figure it out and thank you to everyone watching as well of course catch us on the youtube subscribe and catch us on all the uh spotify and apple podcasts and everything else this has been the bryce cast thank you all so much for watching and we'll see you next time